Good morning, everyone. My name is Mary Beth Thurman, and here's the word of the Lord from John 14, 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, I didn't have her read all of Galatians because uh, we actually read that last week. I will be referring to it. Um, as we continue in our Graceville sermon series, um, this week's sermon, the reason we have last week's reading is this is like part two of last week's sermon um, about faith working through love. And so there will be some overlap and overlay from um, this week's message. And with last week's long weekend, and honor Martin Luther King Jr. A number of you were gone, so this is good that you kind of have the, the overlay and overlap. And speaking of um, the MLK holiday, um, last Monday I had an opportunity to do a lecture. That's what they call it, even though it's really a sermon. Um, <clears throat> for Covenant College's MLK Day celebration. Um, where um, I'm also a Board of, on the board of trustees for that college. And um, whenever I go and talk about um, issues of race and diversity and justice and mercy, and it always gets me um, when I do preach outside of this church, Christ Central Church on Sunday morning, sharing our struggles and triumphs, how rich pastoring and being in a congregation like this can be. I've even alluded to the fact that, and told others, we're like really living out the book of Galatians and Corinthians in this church, where diverse stories and passions around the faith and outside of the faith have collided, sometimes just coagulated, right? But have come together in one congregation. And like any rich delicacy, it's on the edge of being too much, too extra, too much seasoning, right? Sometimes people are like, how is it pastoring and being in a diverse church? I'm like, it's too much. <laughs> too many flavors, right? Let me just get... Vanilla or chocolate on a cone, right? Don't give me the swirl, right? It's, it's sometimes too much. Sometimes when it's my turn to cook, I love just opening the season cabinet and, and putting on what I think 
right? What I imagine, what I think my nose smells will, will go well together on some meat or, or, or seasoning some starch. And Kelly, who's a real cook, right? One night she says to me while tasting what I thought was a multi-seasoned masterpiece. She says, you, you just made this up, didn't you? <laughs> this ain't nobody's recipe, is it? I'm like, nope. It's a Howard Brown special, right? <laughs> she said, I can tell. You just saw some things and thought some things and put it together and thought it would work. You just went with what you thought would be tasty and fulfilling and good for us. Baby, this is overseason. It's just wrongly conceived and communicated. Some things don't work with other things. Some things just ain't right. We handle our faith and spiritual lives in similar ways sometimes, don't we? We start to add and take away and be real extra about what we like or want or don't like and by God and each other. Our lives are under-seasoned or overdone, especially when we are passionate or trying to prove something to ourselves and to God. When we are trying to be good and religious and holy on our own and make ourselves feel fine on our own, especially when there are lots of different people, ingredients and culture and religious spices all around us and from many in here, in us, from our stories. Recently, a new barbecue place opened up and you know I'd find out about it. Noble Smoke. Yeah, some of y'all grumbling right now. Whenever I use food as an illustration, I'm sorry, y'all. This is going to be a long sermon, too. Over on Freedom Drive, it's expensive. It can't go there every day. can only go if somebody invites me and pays for it. So if y'all want to, there you go. They can't eat like that. I ain't got it like that. It's costly. But it's delicious. Thank you, Morris, for taking us. Thank you. I'm just going to go ahead and call out the Moors. Maybe they'll take some of y'all. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put y'all out like that. But he, here is their boast. Nothing but salt and pepper and smoke. What? If I was there, I'd be like, nah, I got to add a couple more things, right? Got to add some hot sauce on it first. or something dumb, right? They say it's what works to make their beef and pork and chicken come out right better than when it went in the smoker. Salt and pepper. Really? Biblical faith is not much different in powerfully changing us, challenging us, breaking down the hard places, dealing with the tough and hardened, self-righteous and insecure places, dealing with the strongholds of sin and addictions, even the sad and broken and lonely places within us. This passage from the Bible is showing us that we can rely on God's recipe for sanctification, to heal us in our relationships, to, to grow us, to make us whole and holy, all with the spiritual salt and pepper of faith working through love. 
in three ways I want us to see today. First, by faith, by faith, God demanding our love. Secondly, by God reprimanding our love. And finally, by God commanding our love. Demanding, reprimanding, and commanding. Look again at our John passage that was read. Look at what it says here in verse 15. I always refer back to the scripture. Okay, it does lengthen the sermon. I was looking at it thinking, and I was watching some other preachers on TV. They never go back to the scripture, right? They just preach free. I, I wasn't trained like that, y'all. So we're going to read the scriptures I preach, just so y'all understand what kind of sermon y'all getting, all right? There are lots of ways to do this. This is the only way I know, and it's the way we're going to go. I could just say, this is what the Bible says, blah, 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 but I want you to see it. I want you to be a student of the word. I want you to see it's not a good idea by me. Because my good ideas, if I was the pastor of good ideas, it, it would be a mess. It'd be a bad idea. Okay. So let's look at verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And he's talking to his disciples. Then in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. And then in verse 21, the last verse in your passage, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. As Jesus explains what it would look like and what it would take for his followers to live and grow in faith, to live obedient, right? To be that holy Christian, right? To be what we would think as having an authentic life by faith. It is through love. A love God demands for him and demands for others. What's real interesting about Christianity, and I think it's lost this way, not only um, in certain churches or certain communities, certain denominations, but in each one of us, right? It's lost this way a little bit because what we see here is God does it and has never just wanted doers. He's never just wanted duty-driven performers or provers. God has never just wanted a show. But he's always wanted, hear this, children. He's always wanted out of the church a bride. He wants loved ones. Those who are driven and fueled by their love for him to do what he commands. In fact, the Bible is telling us that God rejects, as we saw in Galatians 5 last week, and I'm not going to read that. But what God rejects is in the, are the circumcision group, right? The religious group in Galatians, because their religious behavior was not done out of love, but rather religious obligation. And for some of us who go to church and hang around church people, fear 
that they would not be good enough trying to prove something to God and other people instead of just following God. And he rejects the uncircumcision, the wild, rebellious, not free, unholy group because their hearts are driven by entertainment and worldly pleasures and self-soothing and self-pleasing and self-mediating lust and a drive for leisure instead of resting in his love and thus able and willing to actually and thus unwilling to do what he commands. Now here's this, and neither group would be sanctified by faith in that way because faith demands a life in obedience and passion, most importantly, driven out of our love for God. Look at verse 18 in John again, our John passage. It says this, um, I will leave, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Faith, okay? Growing in faith. Like, how do I get better as a Christian? How do I become a better Christian? Okay, ready? Comes from and results in no longer living before God like an orphan. As someone who has to earn and prove they are worth keeping or giving mercy to or, 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 or worth somehow being adopted by God, right? But rather, and, and I know, again, I spent a little bit of time watching some other guys preach on TV. Man, these dudes are good. They don't even have no notes, right? They look cool. The hair all high. I mean, it's amazing. But I saw, I hear some things, and, and this is what I hear, that, that, that somehow faith is what you prove, right? Faith is your work of proof that you belong in the faith, or how, how, you, how your actions make the faith work, right? But, but rather, he's saying, let me tell you how you grow in the Christian faith. Here's how you exercise Christianity. Here's how you walk. You walk as someone who is not an orphan, but rather by faith, approaching and feeling God like you are a child of God, a son of God, like a son and daughter who are given God's love and know they have it and need it and long for it at the same time in order to survive. To do and be it all out of love for him as a father who happens to be God too. A God who demands nothing less from us. He demands it. A wholehearted love for him. You can't just perform. Here's a hard one, y'all. You can't just perform and play Christian. Right? You, 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 you can't just go through the motions. It's this is so crazy. It's harder than that, right? And a lot of people performing Christian because they're doing Christian things, right? You, you, I go to church and I tithe and I sing and, and, and I'm doing mercy and justice ministry. And here's me, picture, I'm building this house for poor people, right? I'm, I'm giving my money to the guy on the street. I'm, I'm doing all these things, right? Here's me at this rally because I support this and I know God's against this. You, great, but that does not make you a believer. 
And those things, if you are a believer, are not necessarily, necessarily, I'm not against any of those things, but they're not necessarily growing your faith because they could be a performance. And here's the thing about a performance as a human being, and this is what the Bible teaches us about our hearts. Sometimes you don't know you in a performance. You have to be motivated and grow by love for God as Father. And it's going to be hard. We're going to get to how God does it. And it is why Jesus summarizes the whole law and commandments, the do's and don'ts of the Bible. How does he summarize it? He summarizes it, summarizes it in these two commandments, like salt and pepper, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And here we go, y'all, picking up on the main vibe from last week's sermon. Love your neighbor as yourself. But that second command, it just got critical and sickening. Like a lot of y'all, for me, loving God is easier to swallow in stomach because he God. He ain't done nothing wrong. He don't show up with a stink attitude. And if he does, it's right because he's God, right? But loving y'all and other people, salt and pepper, I'm going to need some sauce on mine. No, you have, sometimes you got to add some hot sauce just to get it down. Salt and pepper won't be enough. Faith won't be enough. Love ain't going to be enough. Look at our Galatians passage, what Paul points to as a thing that, that shows, um, uh-oh, that shows um, and causes holy right change in us in our world. Verse 14 says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And flesh can be like doing real evil sordid things. And trying to do real righteous things in kind of a mean, kind of not godly way. Right? Um, don't use your opportunity. Use it as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love. Serve one another. Now, I'm sorry, reading 13. Good Lord. But verse 14 says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this love God is demanding, demanding is, is about giving people who might live real differently and difficult for you to accept. Right? That's why Paul warns them in the next verse, verse 15. Be careful that you don't devour and bite each other and consume each other because that is natural, right? We love canceling people, right? We love unfriending people who are paying in the you-know-what. I'm tired of them. I don't want to see their posts. Unfriend, Right? And some of us don't unfriend because we so hyped on being accepted that we won't unfriend them. So we just unfriend them in our heart. God can't see that. <laughs> Understand then what love God is demanding for each other looks like. Not just doing good. But in your heart, Truly wanting and desiring what is good for someone else. Wanting 
to sacrifice and give what you can, kind of like a fool in love for someone whom you naturally wouldn't love. Look at the list of who and what kind of people we are called to love. And, and this is in our Galatians passage. And on the reverse, the, the kind of people God calls to start and be doing the loving. Okay? So these are the kind of people God's saying you should love in what you do for them and how you do it for them. And it's saying if you're this kind of person, start loving. All right? So look at verse 19. It says here in Galatians, if I can go back to Galatians says this. Now the works of the flesh. Remember he says, get out the flesh. Don't do things in the flesh. And then he feeds down into loving each other and not consuming each other. Listen what he says about verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. Wow. Doesn't extend to sports. Rivalries. Dissensions, right? Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he tells us, so these are the people we are called to love. They live lives like this. Here's the deal. Some of us live lives like this. Some of us have lived lives like this. God is calling you out of that kind of living so that you can love him and love others. Because people on this list, list are incredibly self-centered. That's the point here. It's selfishness, right? It's self-security. Because you don't have anybody else securing and loving you. This list in verse 19 is about how you love yourself. How you secure yourself at other people's expense, right? But look at how he tells us to love people in verse 19 and how those who struggle with issues in verse 19 are called to love. It's right here. He tells us how that love should look like in verse 22 for their good and God's glory. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, all along, like many of you, I thought the fruit of the Spirit was like a bouquet where God would just look at us and say, Ooh, look at those nice fruit trees, right? I, I used to think fruit of the spirit was just walking around. Man, that dude's fruity. That, you know, he's, ah, uh, what is the word? He's blossoming. He's so good. Look at the fruit of the spirit in his life, right? You're just a bouquet walking around looking good. No, this is functional fruit, y'all, right? The love God demands says this fruit is designed to be picked, to be given to others, to be offered to those who need it, and a God who desires it from us. Our fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is a produce fed by love and held, as one, I heard one pastor say, on low-hanging branches, humility, for others to take and get and experience. As verse 22 tells us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there, there, those there is no law. Here is the point. You are supposed to give these things to people because that 
that is the fruitfulness in your life. Not for you to walk around being, how can you walk around being faithful in yourself? It doesn't make sense. I'm the picture of love. Look at me. That doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm so very patient. Can't you tell? No, I can't tell. Until you deal with somebody like me who's sickening. I don't know you have the fruit of the spirit until you deal with somebody who doesn't. Who needs it. Who's sometimes I'm just thirsty for patience and I need it from you. So drop some of that fruit to me. And I might take a bite and throw it away. But I'm asking you to love me anyway. Right? I might say, oh, that tastes bad. Right? But it's not up to you to determine, hey, this, my life, my, my holy life, whatever, is going to taste bad to somebody, so I'm not going to love them. That ain't your job. Your job is to produce love for one another. This is the salt and pepper faith through love. And it might sound simple, but it is not easy. It's not easy to find and produce in us, is it? When I was at the lecture, they had a Q&A afterwards, always dangerous to do Q&A. You're on the mic, and you got all these college students. Man, they intellectual. They all caught up in here, philosophical, want the answer to get by. They just want the answer, right? And uh, somebody asked me, how do you balance love and absolute truth? And I'm like, uh-oh, one of them college questions. One of them seminary questions, we're going with absolute truth and that's going to change the world. I said, I believe in absolute truth manifested in this world because Jesus said he was in the same John 14, the way, the truth and the life. Absolute truth exists, but it stops being absolutely true when you get a hold of it, right? There, because in some people's mind, there's a dichotomy, like, like love can't always exist with God's absolute truth. That somehow, and here's the thinking, you have to be unloving in order sometimes to give absolute truth. That's not what the scripture's teaching. Absolute truth is guaranteed to stop being absolutely true and absolutely truly communicated when you stop loving as you give it. They kept asking hard questions. Here's a real hard one. Ooh, this is going to be hard for us too. I'm going to put you on spot there. Someone's like, you know, how do you measure and decide whether a leader of our nation or country is truly a believer? Please, Pastor Brown, don't go here today. Because we go into Facebook as soon as you do. <laughs> we go into Instagram. We're going to write the session an email. Please don't. I was stumped because I knew what they were asking. I got scared because I'm like, is this being recorded? <laughs> I'll tell you, this is my personal, what I thought. I said, for me, it isn't policy or laws primarily. It's important, like what policy and laws they follow, advocate. Those things are important because they're tied to things that are very important to Scripture. I get that. 
I said, you know what? When I think about the scripture and the call that faith works through love, I said, it's how they act and treat their enemies or in times of opposition. How do they act? Does it work out in love? Like truth given with love? Or is it mean, self-righteous, demeaning, separate rating, biting? And I know sometimes you can do something and because of the political situation, you automatically look like you're not loving. Because I'm not talking about that. Does it come out in love and respect? Does he or she love and respect their spouse and children? I was just talking to somebody. Man, sometimes work is easier. You work, everything good. Come home, the real work start, right? Because you can work and be good and make good money and not love. Then you come home and them same people you've been with for years is waiting on you. With the same ways. Then I think, what about the orphan and the widow? Do they have love for the oppressed and oppose and do the oppressed and oppose feel love from them? That's what the Bible says. The same is true for each one of you here. This is not about our nation's leader. This is about every believer sitting in this room. Do we love? Do we love others who have opposing viewpoints with your God and with you? As a leader, a passionate pastor preaching, I fail here a lot, y'all. I'll be the first to go. I failed here a lot in the life of our congregation. I've not always been gracious and loving to those different or less fortunate than me. I need to be sanctified in God's love for you. I'm self-centered and self-righteous too. And so are you. I think sometimes we, we look outside of ourselves. What's our president doing? And what's our senators doing? And I understand it's very important that they're leaders. What are you doing? Believer. God is demanding a whole lot. A whole lot. Too much, I'm going to say, for us and more than any one of us are naturally able and willing deep down to give and receive. I mean, when you think about loving people who are so, like, as you can see, like you're looking at your Bible, you're so opposed to what God wants and I'm called to love you. Come on, you're unloving. This ain't right. God demands and wants too much. In demanding agape, mercy, charity, unconditional, un, non rather, non-refundable love for him and others. But here's the good news. Sanctification, growing by faith through love, is more than God's seemingly impossible demand that we love him and others. But what I want to describe is God's reprimand of our love, our love. 
look at verse 19 through 24 in the Galatians passage, if you will. It says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like those. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, here we go. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. What we see here is that God reprimands our passions. Do you see that? We went deeper on passions last week, but God reprimands, which means he corrects them. He rebukes them. He calls them out. He puts them on blast. He exposes anything we love, right? Any behavior or driving passion that takes the place, that runs you or ruins you or wars against how he demands we love him and others. See, God is not an uninvolved, right, uh, uh, accepting of things that will hurt your love for him. And as Jesus explains, his love for you as his child. No, the Bible is saying God goes after our many loves outside of him. And he seeks to correct it and call it out. Call that passion to be crucified. To the things that aren't like him and his love to be judged, to be killed, to be destroyed, to be left behind, to be turned away from, to be turned on, turned in and snitched on. In verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you alone as orphans, but I will come to you. Do you know what Jesus is saying? In other words, God is going to raise you like his own child. He will discipline your hearts. And correct and straighten out our twisted and sometimes tasty passions like a good parent. So you will know and experience his love as your father. God has no problem laying down and laying out the law and saying, no, this is wrong. This is bad. And though that thing is good to you, it isn't always good for you. Yeah, I don't know Gladys Knight in the pips, I guess. That's Gladys Knight, not Paul, right? And this is so important for us to hear, right? Because we can so easily confuse God and our brothers and sisters in the Bibles, the law of God's reprimand as hate, as rejection of us. Let me tell you why it feels like that sometimes. Because that thing being reprimanded being confronted, being rebuked, being called out, has gotten all up in here, right? Where it shouldn't be, right? Whatever God may be calling out of you and calling you out of that he is deemed not good, sometimes has so wrapped itself around your heart, it feels right. Like a part of your being, like your identity, acceptable, right? Not because it is right, but it is giving comfort. It is giving you a pseudo love. It's giving you pleasure and belonging, but maybe silently or happily cancerous to your soul. And you can't see it all the time. 
And so out of love for you as his child, the word and the spirit of God has to say you are passionate because something has gotten in your mind, in your heart, in a way and in a place only the Lord should be. And your love for something or someone else is opposed to his holy love for you. And God is reprimanding that thing. Man, I remember um, I was long time ago. I was dating this girl. And my, my friend, you know, my roommate, he found out this, this girl didn't go to church. You know, like she wasn't living the faith. Okay, she, and, and we were just sitting there and I was like, yeah, man, you know, dog, she ain't really with God and all that. That's all right. He was like, I remember, and then I went to sleep, right? And like one in the morning, he wakes me up. And he gets to my face, he says, Howard, she don't love God, man. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he had his choice words. Then he went back to sleep an hour later. Howard, have you lost your mind? You all wrapped up, right, with some woman. She don't go to church, man. She don't do the simplest stuff. Dude, she don't know whether she believe in Jesus, man. And then went back to sleep. It's always like three times, right? <laughs> three in the morning. Howard, wake up! She don't love God. <laughs> That's a loving friend. But what did I do? Right? He, 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 he jealous. He, he don't want me to be happy. He don't want me to be in love. Man, God just wants too much. God understands. Because I'm in love or whatever, right? Like, God gets it. If having her is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> ah! All of that mess. And the reason I mention that is because every one of us has been here. Some of y'all right there right now. I know how it happens. It can be anything, including your love and passion. Some of y'all are being in control of everybody else's life. You love being everybody's mama, daddy, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Maybe it's your passion for mercy and justice and vocational excellence in sports or whatever. And you become mean and unreasonable and holding on to your place and position. Or that thing has come to make you feel whole and holy and righteous or comforted. Right? By his word, through the ministry of the church, yes, this sermon even, hearing the, the stories of God's people going to community group, taking the sacraments by the Holy Spirit, convicting your heart and speaking to you, right? God is an all and ever-present father, causes he, causes, because he loves you, who is faithful to, to go right there, to like my friend, to wake you up in the middle of the night sometimes. 
to reprimand and rebuke that passion, our passion, your passion, and the broken passions in this world that hurt and consume and devour all of us and devour our communities and devour our country. But he reprimands it through his passion. Now quickly, last week we explained that there are two definitions of passion. There is a passions in verse 24, our personal broken passions that must be crucified. The, 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 the out-of-control emotional drive sometimes runs you in motivation of something. And then the second definition, passion, the suffering and death of Jesus. It is obvious from how and what Jesus says, how he's talking. If you, don't, if you hadn't read the John passages, um, like uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, right? Like, it's obvious that Jesus is giving a preamble for something. Like he's putting his affairs in order. You know, it's like thinking about MLK, it's like, I may not get there with you, right? That's what Jesus is saying. I may not get there with you. And the disciples are missing it because they're thinking he's going there with them, right? He's going to be the one to take them there. And, and like he's putting his affairs in order for the disciples for something. And that something, of course, is his death on the cross. Jesus is, think about the order of things. Jesus is demanding this love, this impossible love of mere human beings for God and for each other because he is going to overcome our passions, reprimanding them forever on the cross. Understand that on the cross, Jesus destroyed the power of our passions over us, over the ability to stop us from growing in faith, in sanctifying, in changing us, right? What was impossible for you to do in love, Jesus has opened up the door to the possibilities because of his death on the cross. Our sin because of Jesus, no longer disqualifies us as those who can love God and others because of the cross. We are no longer condemned. That is, we are no longer discouraged and abused by the demands of reprimand of God. But now we're empowered to say no to sin for ourselves and others and our world, to be changed, to bring change through love. Why? Because of God's passion for us on the cross. So verse 24 in Galatians called the crucify the flesh is not about beating up ourselves, but being freed, hear me, being opened up, being empowered, letting go in our imperfection for God to come in here where his love couldn't be and do a work that he couldn't do before, right? Jesus opened up the door for God's power to meet and comfort your passions. One of my favorite R&B singers from the past is Deborah Cox. Some of y'all are too young to know about her. And she has this song, Nobody's Supposed to Be Here. And the words go like this. How did you get in? Nobody's supposed to be here, right? <laughs> I've tried that love thing for the last time, right? My heart says no, no, right? So nobody's supposed to be here. 
but you came along and changed my mind. I've spent all my life on a search to find the love who will stay for eternity that heaven sent to fulfill my needs. But when I turned around, again, love knocked me down. That's that personal passion love. My heart got broken. Oh, it hurt so bad. I'm sad to say love wins again. So I placed my heart under lock and key to take some time and take care of me. But I turn around and you're staying here. God's love for us and our love for him and others as fallen people with broken passions that need reprimand is not supposed to be here. But by God's passion for us, even when we can only say no, because we are so broken and run by our mistakes and loving things we shouldn't and being poorly loved by those who should have loved us. Jesus on the cross reprimanded those things and opened our hearts for our hearts, right? So that God not only demands and reprimands our love, he comes in here as the one who can finally command our love. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 17 and 20 in John. He says here, even the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 16, he's a helper when I go away, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows me. So this is, if you know Jesus, this is what's going to happen. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you, he says. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will, not, will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you and me and I and you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself in him, to him, right? And then look at what it says in Galatians, a passage in verse 16. It says here, um, ah, it says, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, right? Growing, changing, bringing change in our world in such a crazy and confusing and contentious time by faith required that Jesus die so that God's Holy Spirit could come into you. And as it perfectly abides as one God, three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the love of the Father, the forgiving, reprimanding work of the Son on the cross are made present, hear this, and powerful in you through the work of God's Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that commands our hearts onward that lifts and resurrects our hearts beyond being crucified on the cross and out of brokenness as it applies and communicates not just words and understanding so you still because if you're theologically correct all of a sudden you live in the faith no but God's love it communicates spiritually super 
supernaturally that you would now and experience to be changed by the gospel, by the words, by the sacraments, by the fellowship, by the community of faith, not because of what they are, but why they are and who comes to us through them. It is God communicating his fathership and your sonship over and over by the translation, y'all, and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit as we, by faith, rely on God's ways of loving us. The Lord never intended, hear me, that we would be able on our own recipe and power and passion to demand and reprimand others and ourselves towards change. I'm going to be a better Christian. Why? Because I've decided it don't work that way. I'm going to work real hard. But that we in our passions would be commanded forward by God through grace, through love, through God's peace. Sound familiar? It looks a lot like verse 22 in Galatians. Look at that again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and his passions and desires. If we live by what? The Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then back in John, I just got to read this one, 21, because you see how it connects. It says here, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself in him. Okay. Let me reword the John passage a bit. Whoever has their life commanded, hear that? Taken charge of and led by the Holy Spirit through faith in what Jesus did on the cross has the love of God growing and happening and changing their lives. You see, What Jesus clarifies for us is that the commandments are not just about what we should be doing. Do you know what the commandments are about? Trusting God to command our lives and take command of our lives because we can't do it. You know, I've always seen and thought in my mind's eye again that the fruit of the Spirit is something that belongs to me. If you act right, you'll get the fruit of the Spirit. No, no. That ain't how it works. You know, if you behave right, go get the fruit. You need to go get the fruit of the Spirit, right? It doesn't work like that. What Jesus describes is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the good acting Christian. It's not the fruit of the theologically correct Christian. Right? It's not the fruit of, oh, the one who really has a strong faith to believe, Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit comes because Jesus loved us enough that when he died, he sent us the powerful Spirit to work in our hearts. The fruit doesn't belong to us. Jesus did was die to make a way for that Holy Spirit to take who he, the Holy Spirit, is, and blossom in our lives. That's sanctification. The Spirit commands the space inside of us and eventually out blossoms. Y'all hear this? 
out blossoms, out manifests, overtakes the rotten fruit of our passions with the love, peace, and patience and self-control of the Holy Spirit. You know, we lived in a hundred-year-old house and I realized that part of the age of a house extends uh, to the yard <laughs> and those old trees. And sometimes, you know, in Charlotte, we learn the hard way about old trees, don't we? Any wind blow, 30 mile per hour winds, tree gonna go down, right? We had this arborist, a tree specialist come and tell us what kind of trees we had and what was going on. And he said, because we had this weird looking tree. I couldn't tell. Like the bark changed and all. I'm like, what, what, what is this? He said, you know what that is? That, that tree has oak branches, but a stump. But the stump it has, it has grown out of, right? Like the tree actually grew out of the stump or out of the area of another tree. Christians, sanctification is the Holy Spirit growing new life, his fruit and power and love out of our broken lives. Out of stumps comes God's righteousness and comes the fruit. There is a song, late Christian songwriter and singer Keith Green, one of my favorites, used to sing, and it says, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Don't you know because of your relationship with God, the Father as his child, Jesus, the Son, by the Holy Spirit, you have an orchard of divine fruit growing in you. And over time, through different seasons and ways, out of you. And as verse five in Galatians says, we don't add our own passions to it, but we eagerly wait for its loveliness to break through. Faith is, Lord, let your spirit break through. Season me with the words of your love. Fertilize me with the, seed, with the seeds and fertilize me with your love through your word, through your people. And let the spirit break through. Sanctification is God's love breaking through so that Christ alone, as our song says, can command our destiny. It is sanctification. It is, and all of this as the Bible describes from one seed falling into the ground and dying that God so loved that he threw him, Jesus, down on the earth to die on earth so that out of him the love of God manifests through the spirit, fruit of the spirit in our lives for all the world to taste and see that the Lord is good. What's so powerful? It's the salt and pepper of God's love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We look around the room, it's all kind of broken people, broken lives, broken roots. Lord, we praise you that the Holy Spirit can grow out of that because of your love for us, because of your passion for broken people. Let us rely on your work in our lives. Some of us have given up trying. Our passions are so wrapped around our hearts. It doesn't seem like we're ever going to be free. Lord, help us to wait patiently 
and deliberately for the Holy Spirit to change us in our marriages, in our relationships, in our finances, in our thoughts, in our deeds. Sanctify us, Holy Spirit. As you demand love for you and others, as you reprimand our love through Jesus so that you can now command our hearts forward. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.